Thank you for listening to the following films podcast. Speaking up and communicating your needs is not always easy. My next guest, Renee Marino, knows all about navigating the complexities of conversation. She's a former Hollywood and Broadway star whose communication skills landed her the female lead, Mary Delgado, in Clint Eastwood's film, Jersey Boys. Today, Marino is a professional communication coach and keynote speaker, named by Yahoo Finance as one of the top 10 communication coaches to follow in 2021. Her new book, Becoming a Master Communicator, will be released this January, but you can pre-order it by visiting becomingamastercommunicator.com. For communication hacks, please visit reneemarino.com. I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Okay, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yay! Is there a a delay this time around, or does that sound okay? No, that sounds great to me. How about on your end? That's perfect. Much, much better. Okay, great. uh, Thank you uh, again for taking the time to do this, and thank you for making it work. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. Of course, this is why I wrote my book. Like technology is so beautiful, but also is not the end all be all. <laughs> no, I'm um I I would describe myself in nature as an introvert. It's something that I've learned to deal with in the last 45 yep. years of being alive. But if yep. I were left to my own devices, yes, this is probably the dream world I would have thought of. Um but sometimes you don't, the idea, the fantasy you have in your head, the thing that would be the most comfortable is actually not what you need. And I desperately need social interaction more than I would, yeah. even if it makes me uncomfortable, I still need it. Oh my gosh, me too. It's so funny. I, I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine today and I was like, you know, I'm used to being a physical person, which, you know, we can talk about in the interview, but, you know, doing eight shows a week on Broadway, being around people, dancing here, dancing there. And then now being a coach and like everything's virtual. So I'm behind a computer. Some days it drives me batty. <laughs> how, how has that transition been for you um, from going from um, performance to being a coach now? It, what led to that? Yeah, it, I mean, it's incredible. It's so different, different in the sense of the physicality. I was coaching a lot throughout my life, even as a performer, I would teach a lot of workshops and I always taught dance. So it's in that same vein of coaching really. Um, But once I did my last Broadway show, which was Pretty Woman, the musical, Mm -hmm. uh, I started writing my book during that show. So I would literally be in hair, makeup, you know, high heels. And like the crew guys would let me use their office to write my book. And I just realized after the show closed, I was like, I'm ready to utilize some of my other God-given gifts. I didn't know exactly how, but I knew that it had to do with communication. I knew I wanted to be a coach of some sort, but I didn't know exactly. And then I took a course by Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi called the Knowledge Broker Blueprint. And that was it. I was like, all right, this is what I want to do. And it might, it makes sense to me, but, but I think to somebody that is naturally social, um, they might not see how that transition could happen. It makes sense to me because when you're introverted by nature, you actually have to think about communication. You have to spend time in that headspace. It's not something you automatically just do. Um, it's something that you sweat over and, um, just to 
give context, um, you can see on the screen, my name is Christopher Maynard. Up until I was in ninth grade, I went by Scott Maynard. That's my name. That's what my family still calls me to this day. But I changed schools. And I was so shy that I didn't correct the teacher when she called me by my first name when I had gone by my middle name up until that point in my life. I didn't want to correct somebody. So I was like, okay, I'll just be Chris now. That's fine. Whatever. Oh, and- my gosh. That's an amazing story. So I get it. I, I completely get it to to have that and to come to the other side of that. So um, is is that a similar story to you as far as having to think about communication and how to be present and just really how to engage with other people? It's not. Is it was it because it was difficult? No, for me it was the opposite. For me, okay. it was very natural. So I grew up in an Italian American family. <laughs> so you can often find us around the kitchen table, eating, talking, arguing, laughing, but nonetheless communicating. And I realized, and I talk about this a lot in the book, but I realized the older I got that that wasn't really the norm for everybody, right? We're all from different cultures, different backgrounds, different family dynamics. So my way of communicating, as I call like direct verbal interaction, isn't natural to everyone. And I had to learn that for myself once I went away to college and I left the bubble of where I grew up. And then when I became a performer, you know, you're communicating on a different level because yes, you're playing characters and you're on a stage and, you know, an audience is cheering for you, but really my best, I think my best, most favorite part about being an actor was actually speaking to the fans after Hmm. like walking through the state out the stage door at the end of the night and making conversation and signing their playbills that I loved. So for me to now help coach others to to understand how to utilize these tools, even if you're an introvert, felt really natural to me. That's interesting. That, that does make a, a lot of sense. And um, some people that are introverted can find a lot of actors are actually, they are introverted, but they find safety in speaking through other people's words. I'm a horrible actor. I have no business acting. I tried doing it. The world is a better place without me acting in it um, because there's something that I just can't feel honest when I'm saying somebody else's words. It never felt natural to me. I was never, even if I take my own words and write them down and then I speak them aloud, doesn't work. I can't do it. I can't read a script for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that doesn't work. Even if I try to do it in my own voice. Um, Do you, did you have that kind of um, need to self-express outside of your, outside of somebody else's words? You know, what's interesting I, oh, I mean, I loved being an actor was absolutely incredible. It was super fun to me mm-hmm. to be able to step into someone else's shoes and, and treat a situation way differently than I would. Even when I played Mary Delgado in the, in the Jersey Boys film and on Broadway, it was hysterical because I'll never forget the night of the film premiere in Los Angeles. We're at the uh, party afterwards. And this young girl comes up to me and she was like, hi. And I was like, hi, how are you? And she was like, oh my gosh, you're so nice. And I was like, yes, she's just, that's the character I played, you know? And it was so funny because she was like, she was like tiptoeing as if I were going to start screaming at her. Um, So for me, that was super fun, but I must say that it's most fun for me to be myself. And 
that's so much of what I teach my clients. It's so much about leaning into who you are, all the parts of yourself, even the parts of yourself you want to hide and that you think, Chris, you're like, oh God, I could never tell someone this part about myself or like, oh, I hate when I do that thing. When we learn to embrace those parts and own up to them and lean into them, that is when we make the most beautiful, genuine connections. So for me, even with loving being an actor since I was a you know little girl, I always wanted to perform on Broadway and film. I still enjoy being able to be myself. Like I, I often say that one of my dream jobs would be to be a talk show host hmm. because to be able to interview other people, just be myself. If I feel like getting up and dancing, I get up and dance. If we feel like grabbing a coffee, we grab a coffee, you know, just, just yeah. being myself. I, I prefer. And so then can you talk just a little bit about you briefly touched on it there about getting that role in, uh, in, in a Clint Eastwood movie that you don't get more iconic than that. And that has to be a pretty intimidating, even for somebody with as much confidence and as uh, used to communicating as you are that I would imagine that can't be a necessarily comfortable situation. It was so surreal, Chris, even to this day, when I talk <laughs> about this and I share the story, I'm still like, wait, what? <laughs> it was such an interesting cool story that happened. So I was performing the role on Broadway in 2013, playing Frankie Valley's wife. And I come out on stage one day and sitting 10 rows back is the legend himself, Clint Eastwood, staring back at me. And I'm like, like in my head, I'm like, oh, hey, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> like, you know, hey, what's going on? And when you perform on Broadway, you see and meet a lot of celebrities and icons, but mm -hmm. this was like next level, you know, yeah. but I went about, did the show. It was a great show. We met him afterwards. He was super sweet. And then we got word that they were auditioning for the film and to be so transparent with you. I didn't think for a second that I was going to be a part of a film. I was like, they're going to hire A-list celebrities out of Los Angeles. Marissa Tomei is going to play Mary Delgado. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I didn't even think twice. But then they put out a breakdown for my role, which means a dis they just put out a description for the type of person they were seeking for the role. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I was like, holy bejesus, that'd be pretty cool to be a part of a film. I had never done TV before, never did film. And for myself, I just thought, even if I'm a face in a crowd scene, that would be awesome. Mm -hmm. So I call up my agent and I was like, listen, they put out a breakdown for Mary. Let's see if we can get me an appointment. She was like, I'm on it. Weeks go by. Every girl I know on Broadway is getting an appointment, but me. Every girl, I mean, some of them are five, nine redheads and I'm five, one and Italian and dark yeah. hair and all these girls with such a different description than described are getting appointments for Mary. And I'm thinking, am I, did, did they change it? Like what's going on? Yeah. My agent calls me finally. She goes, Renee, I'm so sorry. I don't know what to tell you, but they won't see you for the role of Mary, but they'll give you an appointment for one of the smaller roles. One of the girls, one of the angels who sings my boyfriend's back. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget this day, Chris, I was sitting on my couch and I like just start crying and I'm thinking, okay, God, what are you trying to tell me? Like, if I can't even get an appointment for a role, 
I'm currently playing at the highest level I could be playing. It. Something's wrong here. Like you're trying to tell me something. And I felt my feelings. And then I finally threw my hands up and I was like, what am I going to do? I did everything I could. I'm still going to go in and audition for an angel. So the day of the audition, the casting director, Jeff and I were having a great conversation. And then he says, Renee, would you like to sing the song first? My boyfriend's back or read the scene. And all of a sudden it was like this quiet voice from within comes forward and says to me, Renee, you have to do this. It feels too right. And before I was even conscious of what was happening, I was saying to Jeff, you know, Jeff, I got to be honest with you. I was really hoping to come in and read for the role of Mary Delgado. (laughs) And I was like, what's he going to (laughs) say? And he looks back at me with these kind eyes. And he said, I was just thinking the same thing. And I was like, amazing. (laughs) So he, he said to me, would you like to uh, sing this? uh, You can do the angels audition. And then if you want more time to prepare for Mary, you can come back another day if you want. And I was like, nope, I am not leaving this building until I do this audition. So I did the audition that day and I left there feeling so unbelievably grateful. Not because I ever thought I was going to get this role, but because I realized in that moment by speaking up and communicating, honestly, I created an opportunity for myself. And that's all I ever wanted from the beginning. I wanted to know when this movie came out, I got the chance to audition because I was playing that role on Broadway. So to know that I at least got the chance made me feel so good. Well, a few weeks later, I'm at my childhood home in New Jersey, down the street from where the entire part of New Jersey. I'm sorry to interrupt. That's okay. Linden. I, I used to live in Bergen County in Ridgewood. So it's kind Get of up out. in the Northeast. Yeah, yeah. Long, that's where I'm from. A million years ago. But I yeah, I used it. to live out there. Yeah. Wow. Well, we live in Colonia now. So just like 10 okay. minutes yep. down the road. But I'm at my childhood home about to leave for my older brother's wedding. And my agent calls me and she's like, you're Mary Delgado in the movie. Clint Eastwood loves you. And I'm like, Woo! like screaming my head off. I run out into the living room. My mom, my dad, and my 90-year-old grandmother are there. And my (laughs) dad starts crying. My mom's stunned. And my grandmother goes, I've been praying for this for years. (laughs) So I was like, oh, my goodness. This is unbelievable. Fast forward. It's my first day on set. And talk about feeling like you're jumping out of an airplane to skydive. Mm -hmm. It was like that like never stepped foot on a film set before. And here I am starting at the top with a major motion film directed by Clint Eastwood. And again, I, I sat there. I'll never forget driving in the shuttle on the way to set and just saying to myself, all right, Renee, it's time to trust in your talent and leap. Clint Eastwood hired you for a reason. And I get, I get into the building and, Everybody was so welcoming, so wonderful. And then the man himself, Mr. Eastwood, walks up to me and he goes, you know, I went around to all the different casts, but nobody was in your class. And then you came in and put yourself on tape and it was the icing on the cake. And I'm like, Chris, holding back the tears. I just got my makeup done. I still have to film my first scene. And every day from that first day that I filmed... Clint Eastwood and I would eat lunch together. 
I would pick his brain, ask him every freaking question that I could think of. Clint, what was it like when you started acting? Clint, what did it feel like to get on set the first time? Everything I could think of, because here's the deal. We all have opportunities in our lives that we can either take full advantage of, or we can let the fear hold us back. Right. And think like, I can't sit with Clint Eastwood. Who am I? But instead, what's most important to me in life is to be a constant student. And I knew that when else am I going to get an experience like this to be in the presence of greatness? I got to take advantage of this. Like, I want to learn everything. And he became a true, true mentor to me. About a month into filming, we're eating lunch again, and it's him, myself, and one of the producers. And they begin talking about how Clint knew he wanted me for the role when he saw me perform on Broadway. And I dropped my fork and I stopped eating, which takes a lot because I love to eat. And I go, do you guys want to hear a funny story? I actually couldn't get an appointment for Mary Delgado. The only reason I did the audition is because I opened up my big mouth in the room. Mm -hmm. And the two of them look at each other and they're like, wait, what do you mean? We specifically requested you come into audition. So now my mind's like blown. Well, lo and behold, come to find out that day that there was a casting associate juggling a few films at once and just dropped the ball on calling me into audition. And I love this story so much. Not because it's like, oh, wow, this girl got her big break. But because if I didn't speak up in the room that day, I could have missed my once in a lifetime opportunity. And number two, which is a big, big one. And this I am so passionate about teaching that communication with yourself. If I was not in touch with myself on a daily basis, knowing who I am, what I want, what my fears are, what my needs are, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had the wherewithal to hear that quiet voice of my soul that day, speak up to me and say, Renee, you have to do this because we all have gut instincts. We all have that inner knowing that inner voice, but when we don't stay in constant contact with ourselves, We let that other loud voice of our ego, of our fears drive, right? We, it drives the conversation and then we can't hear that quiet voice. So by being in that constant communication, I was able to hear what it was telling me and then take the action. And I think there's something that is universal in this, where you were somebody who had done the work. It wasn't just that you wanted something. It was something that you had done the work for this. You were qualified for this. This is something that wasn't just a desire. It's something that you you had earned a shot at it. At the very least, you deserved an at-bat for this thing. It only makes sense. And there's a lot of times where we speak up and we don't get that turn at bat and or we don't we're not direct enough or we don't bring it up enough times. And if you feel like you've earned something, not just that you want it, but you've done the work for it. I think that that's an important piece of that. that it's not just desire. You have to actually work for it. And I think that's how you made that opportunity by working. Yes, that is so beautifully said, Chris. Seriously, I'm going to like clip that <laughs> from this interview because that is you're so right. And especially 
when I was a performer and I would speak to, I still do it. I speak to a lot of aspiring performers. That is the distinction right there because I've had several aspiring actors say to me, so like, what if every audition I go in, I say, I want to read for this. It's like, no, this is where number one, your gut instinct knows. Like you said, I knew from a, from a deep, deep level, from the deepest part of my soul that I deserved to get an audition. If nothing else, I deserve to just be able to read these words that I read eight shows a week. And that was the difference, right? If, as you said, if I just went in there and I was like, I want to be the star of a film, I'm going to stand up, (laughs) right? That's, that's, that's a difference. That's, that's just, that's coming from ego. And as you said, just wanting it because it's something great. We all have things we want, but when push comes to shove and there is something that like for me felt so right, it felt so right that it felt wrong to not audition. There it is. That's when, you know, that's when, you know, it's time to speak up honestly. And what do you do in the face of rejection in those, what do you, how do you coach people when they do speak up and they don't get what they feel that they deserved? First and foremost, you better clap for yourself and celebrate (laughs) the heck out of yourself. That's first and foremost, because the fact that you have the guts and the courage to speak up in and itself is a gift and should be celebrated. And if it didn't work out, just like if it didn't work out for me, Chris, you know what? I still would have left there that day feeling incredible because I spoke up for myself. I gained an opportunity. There was no guarantee that it was going to work out, but I at least showed up for myself. So rejection, for those of you dealing with rejection, we all do. No one's dealt with more rejection than me. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of no's in the business of performing. Renee, you're too short. Renee, you're too Italian. Renee, you don't look this enough. I mean, it's endless. But once you flip the script in your brain and make it more about how courageous can I be as opposed to how much can I get, the game changes. And now you're in the driver's seat. And now the failures become celebrations. The failures, the rejection become one step closer to what you really want. And the the thing is, once you get used to rejection, personally for me, um, most people are kind and they don't want to hurt you. It's just that they, this, you weren't the right person at the right time or for whatever reason there wasn't something that's in, it. It, personal professional whatever that is um it, whether you're in the arts or you're in the business world it's just people had something else in mind and it wasn't specifically you um they saw something other than you it's not a personal rejection against you as it they looked they didn't look deep inside your soul and say that you do not have value it's just whatever that thing was that they were looking for um and you learn from it you get better by being in the face of rejection and having on an honest assessment. Did you sell yourself properly? Did you, you know, communicate your wishes, your desires? Did you communicate how you would have been the best person for this specific role or why you should be in this thing that you're aspiring to? Um, and if you take that rejection and it's constructive, I don't think there's any better teaching tool. No. And let's even move that a, a step further and, and use this same conversation for everything in our lives. 
Mm. When we're going through those tough times and we're struggling and things feel like they're falling apart, if we have the perspective of, oh man, why is this happening to me? Then yeah, you're going to feel really, really crappy. But if you treat every sadness, every anxiety, every fear, every doubt as you growing, It's like my favorite quote, you know, the caterpillar thought its life was over until it became a butterfly. If you treat all of those points of your life, the downslopes, if you will, as a learning, as a growing, then all is not lost. And you can find that hope in everything. And this is why, Chris, I'm really passionate about what I call imperfect action. So often in our lives, we think that In order to take action towards what we want, whether it's learning how to speak up in a relationship or getting a promotion at work or telling that person that we love them, we think that we have to be fully confident in order to do that. But I want you all to to look at it a different way and realize that that confidence doesn't come until you prove to yourself that you can take action even when you have fear, even when you feel doubt, even when you're unsure of what that next step is. Because what happens is, let's use the example of getting on video. If you are now working virtually with your company and you're like, oh God, I hate the video camera. I hate speaking on camera. I hate virtual meetings. I challenge you to the next time you have to get on a video, even if you feel the nerves, even if you feel that flip in your stomach and you press record and you do a live video and you press stop and it wasn't perfect. I want you to take a second and realize if you feel that little sense of pride for still doing it, even though you were afraid, the more you do that, the more you practice that, the more you develop these nuggets of confidence that turn into an armor of self-belief. And then you're excited to move towards those things that you want, even if the conditions and the circumstances aren't what we quote unquote say is perfect. Mm-hmm. you still are ready to take the action. And I, I think that's the key. That's the key to living an existence that is constantly surprising you and constantly offering you gifts that you didn't know were even there. Well, presenting, and I guess confidence in general, is it's a performance. It's not a representation of who you actually are in your like the deepest parts of your heart. It's something that you're yes. choosing to show at that moment. And when you let yourself be outside of that inner truth and you just speak a specific part of yourself, the more you do it, the more comfortable you get doing that in those situations. Coming on video, um, like you were saying, you're having a virtual meeting and you stay off of video, your feet are up on the table, you're leaned back, you're still in your pajamas. Something as simple as like, putting on the clothes that you would do that you would wear into the office, even if you're not doing that, the performative thing of getting showered in the morning of having coffee away from all the distractions for a minute and being in that headspace, it's all ritual. And I think that it's not, it it is a performance. And I think that the more you do it, the better you get at it. Oh, yes. Yes. So beautifully said again. And I love that you just said, because I teach this a lot. I have a, a, a two-day workshop that I teach called Connecting on Camera. Mm. And I talk about 
how important it is to treat any virtual meeting, any video call, like you would an in-person one. So often we, especially through the quarantine, we sometimes you hop on video and your, your coworkers in their pajamas and you're like, this is awkward. I feel like I've walked in on them in like a private bedroom moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, but if you, in your own mind, treat it like I'm getting ready for work, I'm going to wear especially the shoes I would wear. Yep. Shoes are such a testament to how you carry yourself. And let's use an analogy in the acting world, but it's like when you're walking in the shoes of your character, oftentimes in rehearsal, that would be the first thing I would practice is walking in the shoes of my character because that's how I embody that character. Just like for you, when you get in a virtual meeting, wear the shoes that you would actually wear to a physical meeting and it will change the game. Yes, Chris. He's wearing his shoes, everyone. He's wearing his shoes. Oh well, yeah, but I, I, if I, I would be if I would be lying if I'm the only one that if I'm the only one here, I I take off my shoes and walk around when I'm on call. Sometimes it, it just it, it's you and you that's be, okay. Be comfortable, yeah. enjoy yourself, but being performative in those settings I think is important, and those rituals around it they really help me um, get over my insecurities and my natural sort of disposition of being introverted and not wanting to speak publicly. Um, Just forcing yourself into that situation is the small victory at first. And then you have to get to the point where you have something to say. It's not enough just (laughs) to to do the action. You do need to have something to say at the end of the day. Absolutely. And what I find, especially with, with teaching this now for, for a while we all have something to say. And that's the, I feel like the most beautiful part of it all is we all have a story. We all have a message that needs to be heard. It's often just that first step of getting that confidence to get there. And then once, then we can craft our story, craft our message, but getting, it's just like when you haven't been to the gym in a while and like that first day back, you're like, I'm dreading it. I can't do it. It's cold out. Once you get to the gym though, you leave that first day. You're like, oh yeah, can't wait till tomorrow. (laughs) Well, it's, it's, again, it comes back to the shoes. They say the hardest thing, the hardest part of working out is putting on the shoes. That's it. It's just getting that piece of it, getting yourself in that mindset is the hardest part of it. Um, When is the book coming out? Because I I, I want to read this. I think there's something I could glean from this for sure. Yes, Chris, I think I really think you're going to get so much out of it. So the book is available now. Oh, I thought it wasn't until January. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, you won't receive the physical book till January, but what's great is when you pre-order, you get two free incredible bonuses. One of them is 21 ways to use communication to increase business opportunities. Really bomb diggity. And number two is an introspective video journaling tool that's from the book. And it's a game changer. And you just, you order, you pre-order the book and you will get those bonuses right to your inbox within a half hour. And you can start using those up until the book comes out and then it'll get you ready for the book. And the book is released January 25th. And where could we send people to pre-order the book? Yes, my friends, please pre-order. It it would mean the world to me. All you have to do is go to becomingamastercommunicator.com. 
Perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It was really a pleasure to meet you. And, and this has been a fun conversation. So thank you. I'm glad we were able to make the it work. Feeling, yes, me too. The feeling <laughs> is so mutual. Thank you, Chris. Awesome. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day in that wonderful New Jersey weather because I, I see green uh, in the background and I miss it. So Yes. Where are you? Where are you now? I'm in Arizona. I'm in Tucson, Arizona. So it couldn't Ah. be more opposite. So it, yeah, (laughs) yeah, it doesn't feel like November. It's still 80 degrees outside right now. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, enjoy the sunshine. I will. (laughs) Thank you very much. It was really a pleasure to meet you. Take care. Take care. You Uh, too. Bye-bye. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down Wish me luck, give me hope
My boy's cracked.